If you're in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'd stand with me as we read God's word this morning, we're reading verses 13 through 17. It says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You may be seated. I've made comments here and there about this passage every week, and I'm going to make a couple again. And the one I want to bring out to you this morning is this. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to have a tough time. As a follower of Jesus, it's going to be difficult. The road you walk is going to be tough. It's one of the reasons, and and there's going to be people against you. We act as if we're surprised when there is opposition to what we do and what we believe. Yet the Bible tells us over and over, Jesus himself said, don't be surprised when the world, he didn't say when the world doesn't, like you or when the world doesn't prefer you. Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you because they hated me first. One thing I would encourage us to do as Christians, as individual followers of Christ and as a church is to dig down deep and thicken that skin because it's not going to get any easier, folks. Start to develop a thick skin from your faith and for your faith. It's time we as followers of Christ, as family, as families in a church, as a church body, realize and understand that the days are evil, that there is opposition. And it's not opposition because we root for the wrong football team. It's not opposition because we don't like a certain style of clothing. It's opposition because the prince of this world, the thief of all that is good, hates what we do, hates what we stand for, and desires nothing more than to destroy us so that we will not be witnesses to a world that is lost and dying and on its way to hell. If we can't rise above pettiness, silliness, and annoyances as children of God, then we're never going to be witnesses to this world. We're never going to be effective in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Listen, what's going on in society today? I don't, I don't really care whether we feel like, and understand how I'm saying, I'm saying this in the context of being a Christian, of being a follower of Christ above everything. I don't care whether we feel like our liberties as American citizens are being under attack. I don't care whether we feel like we're being picked on. I don't care whether it feels like other people are trying to overreach. When we get distracted from what we're called to do, when we get distracted from what the mission of a Christian and a church is, then Satan has won. 
Satan is winning. When we lose our focus and get so caught up in what we should be able to do on our own, the rights that we should have, then we're missing the point. Peter tells us here, listen, it's going to happen and you need to be strong enough to stand up to it. I know it gets heavy at times. For some of you, what you do for a living, where you're at, how you're, how you're working with people and, and what you face every day and how you have to deal with the kind of people you have to deal with, my hat is off to you and I pray for you because what you endure every day is an amazing drain on a human being. But I say to you this, don't let that discourage you from being a Christian. Don't let that waver you in your, cause you to waver in your faith because the Bible is still true. God is still in control. We still win in the end. And there's a crown for those of us who will endure all of this and be able to stand before our savior when he's, and hopefully have him say to us, well done. You were good and you were faithful. You weren't known worldwide. You may not have had a, an amazing name in the community as far as everybody knowing who you were, but you were faithful to what I called you to do. I think that's what Peter is trying to tell us. Now, the question that we're trying to answer here is why Jesus above all other gods? Why should we choose Jesus above all other gods? Why have we chosen? And many times when I, when I preach these messages, it's, it's personal for me. It's, it, when, I, when it comes to telling a story, the only story I can tell is the one I know, right? I can tell the story of, of how Jesus changed me and how I've seen him change other people's lives. And that is my best defense. That is my best offense. That is my best argument for why people should choose Jesus above all other gods. Quite frankly, he's the only valuable and viable choice out there. Nobody else has, no other God, no other deity has done what Jesus claims, what Je not just what Jesus claims to have done, what historically we know happened. Over and over and over again, it doesn't get publicized, it doesn't get put on the news, because there are agendas that are against it. But over and over and over again, you will find through archaeology that is being dug up and records that are being dug up, the life and times of Jesus Christ are not just fables in a book written by man. They are being historically proven to be true. They, the, the, the world laughs at us because we believe in a giant named Goliath. Did you know that they found the city gates of the, of, the, of the town of Gath, where Goliath was from? It's amazing. The things that the Bible says that are proven true once people literally dig deep enough. Now, I gave you a whole bunch of statistics. I gave you a whole list of things, and we're not going to go through them again. I hope you remember um, where we are as, as a church, where we are as a world. The amazing attack that is on what we believe. And, and I, don't, I don't know, maybe, 
maybe we were maybe I was expecting. I won't speak for anybody else. Maybe I, I, I guess I was expecting something different when the attack on the church was going to come, when the great falling away, the apostasy, whatever Bible reference you choose uh, to see or, or refer to it as, uh, happened. But we're seeing it happen now. Droves of Christians are leaving the church. In fact, nowadays, I, I just read this article this week. There is a group called, they, they call themselves, they have podcasts, they have websites, they have services. They, it's, they're called ex-vangelicals. Ex-vangelicals. They are people who have left the evangelical church, evangelical church movement. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons why, but most of them are social issues. Most of them are non-biblical issues. But it's because they have been so affected by the world and the world's arguments. And they get so upset with the church because the church... Listen, you have a choice in your life. You can stand for whatever you want. As a Christian, you can stand for whatever you want, but understand you have the ability to stand, but you don't have the ability to stand and be right if you're against the word of God. When you take a stand in your life for whatever it is, you have the ability to be right or to be wrong. There's no middle ground. There's no in between. And as we get into this message and finish this up today, I'm going to share with you some things that are going, some things that are happening and why it's so important and why so many people are falling away and leaving the church. When you cannot make, and I say this over and over and over again, when you cannot make a solid biblical argument for what you believe or why you believe it, and when you're following people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who believe in equality, who believe in fairness. Listen, those things are wonderful. But can I tell you something? Let me just be, let me just be point blank and personal and get down to the nitty gritty. Equal and fair people, people who are treated equally and people who are treated fairly. You can adjust their economics all you want. You can adjust incomes. We can have the fairest society in the world, but if people don't accept Jesus Christ, they will die and go to hell as free people. And that's the fact. That's a fact. I'm not saying working to make a better society isn't a good pursuit. What I'm saying is, is when that becomes our overwhelming mission, above reaching people for the gospel, free and equal people will die and go to hell. That's just the fact of the matter. And that's not what people like to hear. And that's especially the younger generation. Look around, man. There's not many. There's not many of the younger generation. We're not the only church that's like that. Nine percent of of Gen, of Gen Z, I think they call them now. Right. I don't know. I can't keep up with it. Like nine percent of them attend church now. It's because they've bought in to distractions and lies. There's a reason why the Bible says respect those who have experience. Respect those who are older than you. Give deferment to wisdom. Give deference to wisdom. Quite honestly, because kids don't know what they're doing. 
They haven't lived enough life. They haven't experienced enough in life. Think back to you when you were 17 and 18. Forget that. Think back to when you were 21 years old. Think back when you were 24 years old. And if you are now with me in the age group that is more than double 24 years old, <laughs> or, or pretty close to it, okay? Think about that and say, and ask yourself, would I make the same decisions today knowing everything that's at stake, knowing everything that I know now, would I make the same decisions today that I made back then? I could tell you quite honestly, no. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I'd make, now some of them, I mean, some of them weren't, weren't bad, especially those that I talked to older people. When I joined the army, I had conversations with every veteran I could find. I did the same thing, kind of the same thing. The Navy, did, they had one guy that did like eight jobs that the Army does, okay? Because I'll say it, Dad, Navy guys generally are a little bit smarter than Army people, okay? Just, that's just the way it is. That's, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, listen, listen. If you can sit on a ship in the middle of the ocean and have three squares a day in a bed or go sit in a tank in freezing weather, I'm telling you, man, I, I've thought this through, okay? Took me a while, but it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe I, uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, I'd have still chosen, chosen the army because Jesus chose the army, but, but, but that's okay. He did. He calls us soldiers, not sailors, right? I'm serious. Right? I, I'm just telling you what's in the word. Now, as we make our case, <laughs> but he left that behind for what was really important. Uh, as we make our case for Jesus above other gods, we need to know what we're talking about. And before, even before that, we need to know in our soul, deep in our spirit, that we're committed to this, that we're not going to waver. Listen, I'm not saying that you won't be rocked by a punch here and there. But as Rocky says, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. It's how many times you keep moving forward. So why? The first thing I told you was this, because the Bible tells us Jesus is the one and only true God. For me, that's the only argument you need. If I try to start adding to it, if I start it, try to start being logical, if I try to start overthinking it, then I'm watering down my case. Well, well, people are going to do this. People are going to say this. People are going to blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People ask me, well, you've never been to L.A. You've never been to Dodger Stadium. How come, how'd you become a Dodgers fan? Especially, 
you know, I spent from my 13 year old on up, I was a New Englander. How'd you become a Dodger? My simple answer, I read Sandy Koufax's biography, fell in love with the Dodgers. It wasn't studying statistics. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. I read a book, fell in love, and that's it. It's that simple. Sometimes the answer can be that simple. And with why we should choose Jesus above all other gods, it's, it's very simple. We stand on the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is our authority. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the one and only God, the one and only true God. Now, I know there are discussions that come in after that, and that's what we've been talking about. But make no mistake, we need to make sure we believe what we believe because the Bible teaches us that that's what is said. And the Bible needs to be our one and only, just like the God in heaven is our one and only. Now, last week I asked you the question, why should we care about people? Because the, having the answer to this question all boils down to people. Listen, you can be convinced in yourself. You can be convinced of yourself. You can know for sure you have the, the salvation of Jesus Christ in your heart and know that you're going to heaven uh, based on the authority of the word of God. And you could be happy with that. But there's a world out there that doesn't know Jesus as their savior. In fact, many of them in our area, many of our friends and neighbors, not only don't know Jesus, but they've never been given a true presentation of the gospel. I remember growing up, that used to be foreign missions, right? That used to be foreign missions. We're raising money to send, uh, to, to be able to support missionaries in South America and in Japan, in Europe, in Asia, different parts of the world, because they've never heard. It was unthinkable that people would, would be in a situation in America where they've never heard a true presentation of the gospel. But here in our region, there are many, many, many people, hundreds of thousands that have never heard a true presentation of the gospel. Listen, I'm not talking about they've never gone to church. I'm not saying that they've never uh, heard about Jesus. I'm saying they never heard a true presentation of the gospel. And because so many of our contemporaries in the evangelical church now think that there are multiple ways to heaven other than Jesus, they don't tell them. And I gave you some great reasons, uh, some, some many reasons why. And one of the big ones was not only because people are dying and going to hell, but because many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are turning away from the church. They're turning away from faith. They're turning away from the truth of the gospel. And I said that we, we, we need to have a passion for people and a concern for people because Satan is a master of distraction. And I know that even this morning, it's been kind of heavy already and kind of, you know, a little bit could be termed in what my generation would say a downer, right? And I think if we look around, I think we all have experienced over not just the last year and a half, last year and a half was just an intense microcosm of what it's been like in the last several years. But I think we can all say to ourselves, if we're honest, that it's been difficult to stay positive. It's been difficult to keep ourselves upbeat. It's been difficult to see the point 
in going to church. Listen, I know COVID is keeping some people away from church, but I also know that there's some people just tired of the fight. Some people just tired of the fight. And my heart goes out to people like that. But I also know that it's time to pick yourself up and get back into the fight. That's why I encourage you over and over and over again to reach out to your friends that you know were in church and were profitable to, to a ministry at one point and encourage them to come back to church. Get back involved. Well, you're just looking for numbers. You're just looking for money. And then you don't know me very well. I'm looking to get people connected with their faith again so they get a burden and a passion to tell others about Jesus Christ. Because the time is short, folks. Listen, I've proven in 20 years that it's not about the money for me. I've proven that. If you think it's about the money for me as a pastor, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. I've been bivocational for most of the years I've pastored this church. I've, listen, I was a driving instructor for a while. Driving teenagers. I had no lie. I had one young lady. The, the, she was in a state program. And so the state was paying for it. I never would have paid for her driving instruction. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. She was legally blind. I am not kidding you. She was legally blind. They told me when, I, when she was signed up, they said, hey, here's your one o'clock. Um, it's the first time she's ever driven. And oh, by the way, she's legally blind. Oh, oh, okay. First time out, first time out, she hit a trash can. Like, I'm not sure this is going to work. I did. So that's not what it's about. It's about turning people on to Jesus and helping them fall in love with their faith so that they desire to be close to the one who has made such a difference in my life. And then they have such a burden and such a passion for him that they go out and tell others what he's done for them. By the way, he's their only hope. So I want to pick it up this morning by asking this question. How do we keep ourselves positive and make our case for Jesus? How do we keep ourselves positive? Because, listen, everything that comes at us is negative. Here in East Long Meadow, I shared this with Melvin, and it's, it's the talk of the town now. Our, our Board of Health quit this week. Two out of the three members of the Board of Health quit. The health director quit. The health inspector quit. There's one left. They all just, they all just resigned. Like, well, what do we do now? And it's because it, it's, be, I, it's be, you know why? You know why? Because their lives have been threatened over wearing a mask. How's that make you feel now? Listen, I don't care whether you like it or not. Putting a piece of cloth over your faith is, face is no reason to threaten somebody's life. You need to grow up. Serious. 
Seriously, for those of us who served in the military, I'll take you out and take you through maneuvers and stuff and show you what really is important and what really is scary. Putting a mask on my face is not scary. In fact, putting a mask on my face is, makes things a little bit easier for some people. Okay? Just being honest, keeping it real. Where have we gone to when that's what happens? How do you stay positive in such a negative world? What must we do to keep our passion and keep moving the message of the gospel forward? Because as I said at the beginning, the Bible promises us that we're going to have tough times. The Bible promises us a difficult life. It's promised. Wow. But in spite of all that, Paul says, I will rejoice. John says, I will rejoice. Peter says, I will rejoice. And you need to rejoice as well. Why? We must remember that there is hope. That's why. How do we keep ourselves positive and make our case for Jesus? We must remember that there is hope. Listen, as bleak as the picture is that I've painted this morning, as bleak as the picture is when you walk out your front door, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if there's a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner and there's nothing you can do to change that on your own, when you've come to a place in your life where you realize that you can't be good enough. It doesn't matter what anybody, it doesn't matter what Oprah says. It doesn't matter what Dr. Phil says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You can't be good enough to get to heaven because that's what the Bible says. When you come to that place of realization and you understand that there is one who gave his life for you. He gave his life a ransom for many as the Bible says. He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. When you realize that, if you've gotten to that point and you realize that, and you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm a sinner. There's no good in me. And I know you died for my sins. I want eternal life. So please, I accept your gift of eternal life. And I ask you into my heart, if you've done that, the Bible says you have hope. You have hope that cannot fade. You have hope that cannot go away. You have hope that can never be taken away from you. How can we so sing a song, there was another in the fire standing next to me? Because we have hope. Because we have hope that no matter what goes, goes down in this world, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how bleak things get for us, for others, for everybody, there is a hope. And no matter what happens, no matter how things fall apart, no matter what rights and privileges we lose, there is a hope that goes beyond being an American citizen. There is a hope that goes beyond having enough money to take care of yourself and retire. There is a hope that goes beyond getting a great suntan. There is a hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. We must remember that there is hope. Psalm 71 verses 13 through 14 say, May my adversaries be disgraced and destroyed. 
May those who intend to harm me be covered with disgrace and humiliation, but I will hope continually and praise you more and more. I will hope continually and I will praise you more and more. Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 says that, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We have hope. We have hope. The only desperation we should feel as Christians is the desperation for a relationship with Jesus Christ. The desperation that comes from wanting to walk closer to him every day. Listen, I know life will get tough. I know things will get difficult. I know it'll be a struggle, but we have hope that when this life ends, there is another that is a reward for, for fi finding Jesus Christ and giving him your heart. Why should that keep us positive and why should that help us to be encouraged and reach out and make sure the gospel message goes forward? Because we as, the, as believers are the mirror and picture of God's hope. That's what we're supposed to be. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He came into the world to bring light to the world. And when he died on the cross and paid the price for our sins, he went back to heaven. And now he passed that mission on to us. And he said, now you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, you are the salt of the earth, not the powdered bleach of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. <laughs> those of you those of you who had conversation this morning will understand that you are the salt of the earth but what is what is how if salt loses its flavor how does it salt itself you he says keep yourself salty keep yourself flavorful to the world Keep your lamp and light burning before the world. Why? Because you're the mirror and the picture of the hope of God. Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is, listen, let me, let me say that again. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. You realize that Jesus Christ, the eternal plan of God for redemption of this world, was completed when Jesus Christ died on the cross. But the whole plan to reach the world hinges on the belief and willingness, commitment and conviction of humanity. We are the ones that show hope to the world. We're not the hope for the world, but we're the ones that show hope to the world. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what we're supposed to be living. That's what we're supposed to be trying to make a difference for. 
It doesn't say make sure everybody is economically viable. And that's the hope of glory. That's not what it says. It says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, people will say, well, well, John, it's all about treating your neighbor well and living and making a difference. And this, no, it's not. You're distorting scripture when you say that. Just because you improve somebody's life does not mean they're going to heaven. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I'm not saying we don't work for these things. I'm not saying we don't try to help out and we don't try to improve people's lots in lives. But if we do that and we think that's the end game, we've missed the point. How else do we stay positive? How else do we stay focused? And how else do we move the word of God and the mission of the gospel forward? We must renew our commitment to Christ. Church, I think this is a big one. I think this is a huge, huge point that needs to be made for all of Christianity, for all followers of Christ, but for new life as well. I'm just being honest here. I'm just being honest. Folks, we got to renew our commitment to Christ. Seriously, I know you were locked down for a year and a half. I get it, but it's no excuse for missing church. You watching this on Facebook, get offended all you want. I don't really, and I get upset, I get in trouble for saying I don't care. Sorry, I don't care how you feel about that. You're wrong if you're skipping out of church. I'm I'm gonna say it, okay, Aaron, I'm gonna say it. I may be looking for another job next week, but I'm gonna say this. How many flipping times can you go camping? Seriously, folks, what's more important? Getting close to nature or falling in love with Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with others. Yeah, I'm steamed. I've given my life to this. And some people in this church flip it around like it's yesterday's news. It's time to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. We talk about sending Zach and his team out to plant a new church. (laughs) Seriously? How are we going to do that? When we can't even viably keep this church full on a Sunday morning. Come on now. Told (laughs) you. Come on now. We're getting, we're getting so caught up in silliness. We're getting so caught up in fool. I'm not talking in this church, so caught up in foolishness that we're missing the point. We're missing the point. The point is, your walk with Jesus Christ is important. The point is that you are the light in someone's life. And the point is, they need Jesus more than you need rest. They need Jesus more than you need anything. Because you've already got him in your life. Your eternity is secure. Your hope is secure. Theirs isn't. You see, if they die today, check this out, folks. If they die today, they could spend eternity in hell and there's no second chance. There's no second chance. We get that? There's no second chance. I don't care who writes a book. I don't care who says love wins in the end. Love won at the cross. Love won at the cross. 
And if they die without Christ, their chance is over. It's time to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. It truly is. Colossians 3, 4 says, check this out. Paul writes this, when Christ, look look up here, it's not up there, it's back there if you want to look at it, or you could look at your Bible. When Christ, and there's a four-word phrase, comma, who is your life? Can you say that? Seriously, can you honestly say, when Christ, who is your life? When Christ, who is my life? Jesus is my life. Jesus is all about what my life is about. Everything I do is interwoven with the plan that Jesus Christ has for me. Can you say that? Because he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you will show me before the world, if you will profess me before the world, if you will confess me before the world, I'll confess you before my father. In other words, if you'll live for me, if you'll deny the world, if you'll deny everything that the world offers you, if you'll deny going your own way and you'll follow me, if you'll make much of me and make my name famous, I'll be proud of you. And I'll bless you. And there's a place prepared for you. That doesn't mean your heavenly home is dependent upon your good works. Because we've covered that and that just doesn't happen. You don't get to heaven because of your good works. What it does mean is there's there's some amazing blessings for those. I don't even know what they are. But there are amazing blessings blessings in eternity for those who will give their lives in service to Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, you've heard this one before. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For me. He gave himself for me. I love how Paul personalizes that. Because now I can personalize it and say, he gave his life for me. You realize if you were the only one, if you were the only one in need of a savior, Jesus would have given his life for you. That's how much he loves you. What are you doing in return to honor that sacrifice? This type of deep devotion to our faith, not a person or idea, is what will sustain us when all looks dark. I'm not saying give your devotion to me. I'm not saying put me up on a pedestal. That's the last place I want to be. I don't want Listen, I, I never pictured myself as a senior pastor. When I went into ministry, I thought I was a support guy. That was, that's what I thought I was. And I, I had the heart to support. I had the heart to help. I had the heart to be one of the guys that held up the pastor's arms and supported him. And I never thought that God would call me to be a senior pastor. But he did. So just because I didn't plan on it, just because I didn't think I could fulfill the role doesn't mean I don't give it my all. I constantly try to be better. I constantly try to find better ways to do what we do here so that we can grow this church, so that we can reach people with the gospel. Quite honestly, 
humbly I'll say this, it's because I'm deeply devoted to Jesus Christ and his, his mission. Not me, not my own self, not my name, not my fame. I'm devoted to him. That's my passion. What else? How else are we going to do that? We're going to, we've got to renew our commitment to sound biblical doctrine. <laughs> now, you may think that that's kind of a given, but it's not. It's not. Today, as I shared those statistics I shared with you, people are leaving the church. And like I said earlier, we have a whole group and it's a large group called exvangelicals. And they pride themselves in that. And they, uh, they work against the church. And the reason they are is because the church doesn't take the social stands that they think it should. Can I be honest with you? There are some social stands I can't take because they're sin. I'm just going to be honest. I'm sorry. Don't make an argument for a vaccine by saying follow the science and then tell me that you don't you didn't you didn't give your little child a name or put a gender on their birth certificate because gender is a, a, a social construct. That's stupid. OK, that's not wrong. That's not foolish. That's downright stupid. Did you not take biology in high school? I, I'm, I know that's funny, but I'm trying to be serious. That's science. I don't care what you think you are today. I don't care how you feel today. You're either a boy or a girl. We have men who wear skirts in Scotland. They're still men. Braveheart wore a skirt. Still a man. Hey, listen, I don't really care about that stuff. Let's just be truthful and honest. And it's okay. And now see, now I'm hateful. Right? I'm hateful. That's what it, no, 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 no. I just don't want to be fed a bunch of, a bunch of a, a BS and be told I have to like it and accept it. And that I'm the meanie when I say, wait a minute, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. Listen, folks. We need to renew our commitment to biblical doctrine and truth. That's what we need to do. People are looking for the feelings of religion today without the relationship. Two questions I get asked by people who, who are interested in our church. And I instantly know that it's going to be that they're, they're probably not, if they, if they visit, they're probably not going to stay. Okay. They want to know uh, what the, the, the kind of worship we do and how often uh, they, the, well, the first big question is, will you baptize my children and will you baptize me? The second one is, well, do you do communion every Sunday? These are the big questions I ask. And so I ask people, well, do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? Do your children know Jesus Christ as your savior? And the answer is always no. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth of what the conversations are. I said, well, on the authority of the word of God, I can't baptize your children. I can't baptize you because the Bible says baptism comes after you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. There's no, there's no goodness 
for eternal life in baptism, even for a follower of Christ. You realize that, right? Even if you're a born-again Christian, baptism doesn't give you an extra boost into heaven. Baptism is simply an outward expression of what you've done on the inside. And by the way, communion, while it is a sacred time, I believe loses its significance if we do it every Sunday. And secondly, Jesus didn't tell us to do it every Sunday. And third, if you need to take communion to feel close to God, you need to check out your life every day of the week. Because that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a church service. And this is the younger generation. I just had this conversation last weekend with another person. If you're looking for a church that has the trappings and vestments of religion because it makes you feel close to God, then you need to check your relationship out with Jesus Christ because this is supposed to be a celebration time for us. This is supposed to be when we come together and we worship Jesus Christ, not get our lives back in tune with him. We're supposed to be in tune throughout the week. We're supposed to be living for him every day. So, and, and that's what people, well, I, I just feel closer to God. Well, how close do you feel with him on, how close do you feel to him on Tuesday? Well, uh, uh, okay. Now, listen, I'll help you out. Come on in. Check out what we do here. But I want you to understand, I'm concerned about your soul, not your religion. Because Jesus isn't concerned about your religion. He's concerned about your relationship. And see, now we've lost it. It used to be that we remember for years we said it's not religion, it's a relationship. And now the younger generation doesn't want a relationship. They want religion. That's a falling away, folks. And it's because we've watered down doctrine and we've entertained and we've done everything except teach people and disciple them the way they need to be taught and discipled. It's one of the reasons why we recommitted ourselves to small groups. And those of you who have been skipping out on small groups on Wednesday, get your hearts right with God and get back here. Okay. Or join us on online. Get your kids back to Awana. They need it. You need it. I need it. They want the form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. How do we commit to sound doctrine? Well, Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? True doctrine, sound doctrine. Listen, we can disagree on different things, but what we can't disagree on is sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Join us on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We talk about sound doctrine on, on Wednesday nights. You can follow it. You can go and, and, and watch it on Facebook. We have good discussions and we dig deep. We're digging real deep into, the, in, into salvation right now. What it is and what it isn't. That's sound doctrine. I don't want a church full of yes people. I don't want a church full of people who, who don't know what they believe. I want a church full of people who understand. Listen, what, what, these, Awana, what these Awana workers do with your children, those of you who have children, what they do with your children on Wednesday nights is teach them doctrine. You look at Awana. You look at the, at, at the program, at the curriculum. It's, it's sound doctrine for your children. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's stuff that should be bolstering what you teach your children at home. How can you teach your children at home? By learning in church. 
and passing on to the next generation. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold on to the, powder, the, the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and, that, and love that are in, G, in Christ Jesus. Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with, what agrees with sound doctrine. Teach what agrees with sound doctrine, not what is socially acceptable, not what flies in the community. Teach sound doctrine. Hard choices have to be made in life all the time. You have to make choices that, that are disagreeable with people. We're not going to agree on everything, but what we should agree on in this church is doctrinal beliefs. That should be a given. And we must recommit ourselves to sound doctrine. Why? Because the Bible told us that there is a time where they will no, not tolerate sound doctrine. We're seeing that today. Folks, it's happening today. They're turning away from the church and sound doctrine in droves. Just read, just Google it. You'll find out. You'll read article after article after article after article. We're arguing about things in church that the Bible clearly says are sin. I mean, it's not even ambiguous. It's clear. And we're debating on whether or not we should do this. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. Hey, Dad, should I try to run across the East Longmeadow Rotary at 8.15 in the morning without looking both ways? No, Michael, bad idea. Why? Because about 10,000 cars a morning go through that place and none of them pay attention. That's a free-for-all. It's an easy no. I mean, it's, a, it's, not even, it's not even debatable. It's a no. Knowing sound doctrine and being agreeable on our doctrine is not a debatable point. It's a yes. <clears throat> so how do we make our case for Jesus? Well, we first need to acknowledge that a case needs to be made. And that used to be a given, but it's not anymore. Church, we need to acknowledge that a case needs to be made. You might be sitting here, you might be listening to me on, on Facebook or YouTube this morning saying, geez, Pastor John, you're just angry. You're just, uh, what happened to you? The Dodgers won last night. Why are you so fired up? Well, I, I guess it's because I'm seeing the church fade away. I'm seeing people fall away. And I'm not angry. I'm not fired up. I'm just passionate about this. I don't like seeing people be left to a situation where they're going to die and go to hell. And Christians don't care. Christians care more about other things than the souls of lost people. We need to acknowledge that a case needs to be made. That means that Jesus is the one and only God and there is no other way to heaven. We need to make sure we understand that. That's unequivocal. That's something we don't waver on. That's, it's not a waffle situation. It's truth. If you don't believe that, then we need to sit down and have a, a biblical discussion about what the Bible has to say about that. Everybody needs a savior. That's where we start. 
not about politics. It's not about wealth or status. It's not about race. It's not about constitutional rights. It's not about religion. It's about Jesus and making him known to the world and bringing people to a place where they have the opportunity to make an informed choice. Sometimes we're more concerned about about making sure people know who to vote for than we are about whether or not they accept Jesus Christ as their savior. There shouldn't be a, a debate there for Christians. Romans 10 verses 13 through 17 say, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And we, we use that and that's, well, that's a great verse, great verse. That's what we need. We need to put that on a sign. We need to put that on a sign and put it in my front yard. I need to put that as my Facebook status. I need to tattoo that on my arm. Okay, all good things. But you know what? It goes deeper and farther than that. Let's read on. As my friend Ben John likes to say, let's read the full context. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Wonderful. Let's throw up a cheer. Get the marching band going. How then can they call on him? They have not if they have not believed in him. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. You see, we can be a cheerleader for salvation all, all the time. But there comes a point in time where you need to be a messenger where you need to get out into the highways and hedges and tell them about Jesus. And that time is now. We make our case biblical. First Thessalonians 2.13, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you, re you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. I hear this over and over again. Well, that's your interpretation. No, it's not. It's not. You have, if, that's, if that's your argument to people, if that's your defense, then you have no idea and understanding what interpretation of scripture means. I don't get to read it and decide what I think it says and, tr and decide how, what that verse means to the world. I need to read it and try to understand how that applies to me because scripture is very clear in its teaching. We need to make our case personal. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That means everybody you meet has a choice to make. Now, I wouldn't advise walking up to people and getting in their face and leading with that. But that's why we build relationships with people. That's why we don't put ourselves in, uh, make ourselves hermits and don't interact with the world. Quite honestly, that's why we don't put our boys in a private school. Because I believe my boys need to be light into a dark world. Now, you may disagree with me on that, and that's entirely your call. But I've prayed about this and thought about it a long time. And I'm willing to take that risk because I'm going to love my boys at home and teach my boys at home. Now, it helps that I have a great school system. Aaron and I have a great school system to put our kids in. That's a benefit. But 
I want my boys to understand what it means to be a light in a dark world. Doesn't mean I'm going to make them hand out tracts at lunchtime. Means I'm going to teach them how to live for Jesus and share Jesus with others. We we need to make our case practical. Remember, Jesus is all they need. Not your opinion on masks, not your politics, not your attitude, and not your anger. They don't need that. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Make your case practical. Bible says in Revelation 20, 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. I've tried to say that many different ways this morning. I hope it's come across that people are dying and going to hell. And we need to care about that. As I've said a couple times, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Make your case about faith. Make your case about faith faith. Not about anything else. Not about anything else. Make your case about faith. Because in the end, that's all that matters. In the end, all that matters is what you did with Jesus. Not how you voted. Not how much money you made. Not how great you are at the job you did. Not how well maintained you kept your lawn. In the end, what matters is what you did with Jesus. What decision did you make about Jesus? That's all he's going to ask. When we stand before him, when the world stands before him, one by one by one, the Bible says that they're going to look into the book of life. And if in the book of life their name is not written, Jesus, in another verse, said he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And they spend, they, play, they spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from God. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17 is how we'll end this today. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because this is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's all about faith. It's all about how you live. It's all about how you share. It's all about who you share. It's all about what you make important in your life and to others. Let's bow our heads in prayer. While every head bowed and every eye is closed, I know that this came across rough today. I know it did. I know I'm probably going to have some explaining to do. That's okay. That's what I'm here for. But I hope what came across in whatever, however you perceived it was this. We need to have a passion for Jesus Christ. We need to get ourselves where we need to be spiritually and focus ourselves on what's important and keep the main thing the main thing. And most importantly, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or if you're watching us online, you need to take care of that.
because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. My friend, you're not guaranteed this afternoon. So two questions this morning. First of all, while every head bowed and every eye is closed, I wonder this morning if you could honestly, if you could say from your heart and you would trust me with this, that I'm the only one that's, that's checking things out. You would say, Pastor John, I have never asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. In fact, until this morning, I never even knew what that meant. Is there anybody here that will say that? If you're watching us online, you can, you can put that in the comments. And if you don't feel comfortable, you can write us personally and, and, say, and tell us that. And we'll do what, what it takes to get in touch with you and, and share with you. Is there anybody? All right, well, we're all professing Christians here this morning. And I would ask you this. How's your light? How, how salty are you? Are you getting the job done? It's rubber meet the road time now. Getting the job done? Because before I came in here this morning, struggling through the week, knowing what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to preach and struggling through worship this morning, trying to keep myself focused because Satan was battling to keep me from trying to bring truth this morning. I had to deal with this in my own life. And I've had to say, John, are you really doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you being as effective as you're supposed to be? Are you leading the way you're supposed to lead? Are you being the example to people that you're supposed to be? I'll tell you what, man, I didn't like the answer that came back. So I wonder this morning, if you're like me and you say, well, Pastor John, that was, that was tough to hear this morning. <laughs> it really was. But I know deep down inside, in the place where I don't talk about in public, there's some work that needs to be done. And I need to put some things aside and refocus myself. I need to come, the heart, come back to the heart of what matters. And it's just you, me, and God. Nobody else is looking around. What if you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you please pray for me? Thank you so much for the honesty, man. Thank you so much for the honesty of those hands. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I commit to you that I will pray for each and every one of those hands that were raised today. Because folks, what truly matters is what truly needs to matter. And we need to get back to what this is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of, of being here this morning, the privilege of serving you, the privilege of honoring you, the privilege of worshiping and the privilege of digging into scripture. Lord, I pray, I pray for our church right now that Father, we will, if we need to course correct, we'll course correct. For individuals, if we need to course correct our lives, then we'll do that. Pray for those hands that were raised. I pray for those who weren't quite ready to raise their hands, Lord, because that struggle is still going on inside where they still think they're right when they need to admit that they're not. God, would you win that battle? I pray for those who raise their hand, God, that you will continue to break their hearts to seek you more. Father, I pray for myself, Lord. Tough job here. It's difficult. 
It's a tough life to live. But I wouldn't have it any other way. This is what I love. Give me the strength to do it right. Bless this church. Bless these people. Bless all that we do. God, give us the understanding and the wisdom to see the open doors before us so we can take advantage of every opportunity that's there. Bless us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.